Enterprise Log, Captain James Kirk commanding. We are weaving that vast cloud of stars and planets we call our galaxy. Behind us, Earth, Mars, Venus, even our sun, our specks of dust. The question, what is out there in the black void beyond? Until now, our mission has been that of space law regulation, contact with Earth colonies, and investigation of alien life. But now, a new task, a probe out into where no man has gone before. Welcome to Podcast Them Down. I'm Tim Regan from U.S. power metal band Burning Shadows, Fade to Black Metallica Tribute, Dual Violin folk metal band Eisenmore, and recently vacated Graves True Zombie Metal. Be sure to subscribe, like, or follow. And now, on with the show. Alright, still says U.S. power metal, even though it should say American power metal, as as previously discussed. I am here once again with Matt and Doug, and once again, they have watched another episode of Star Trek, the original series, and I have not watched it. So, uh, you guys go ahead. I'm going to eat these cookies. Hello, Metal Nation. Oh, fudge yeah. cookies. <laughs> uh, out of respect for uh, uh, your time and discerning taste, we are uh, doing things a little differently today, uh, both to take our own biases out of this, mm -hmm. this process and to give you the metal opinion and then a, uh, a broader uh, uh, quality measure. Uh, and so our own biases don't seep into how we assess this. We're actually going to assess, uh, assess in each of those measures every single segment of the episode. Um, so uh, th these episodes are uh, uh, four acts, counting the teaser. So we're going to talk about each act, give you a score for each act, a metal score, a quality score, and then when all the counting is done, we'll see where we land. And you can make an no, entertainment choice. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, you know, one of your favorite uh, features from the Charlie X episode was the fact that Tim gave a gave a review, even though he had not seen the episode. Well, don't worry, we've kept that and that will be incorporated into the metric. So oh, even yeah, if you're I'll, thinking, I'll even if you're thinking, I have, <laughs> you know, we wanted uh, an opinion so unbiased that it's the opinion of someone who hasn't even watched the episode. So, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is the most objective Star Trek rating ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, yep. and, that's, and that's before the metal variable is put in there, the metal measure. So we're, we're really excited about this process and the analytical value. Uh, all right, so to kick off, we're talking about uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. This is the third episode to air. It was filmed as the second pilot. Uh, what you heard at the very beginning was the very original narration uh, uh, that appeared in the uh, NBC pilot cut of the episode. Uh, so to jump in, um, we get a teaser. And I'm trying to remember the teaser. There's a... Uh, there's a well, first of all, Kirk's narration here is interesting, Matt. I guess it, just to describe the Enterprise comes upon a um, uh, an unknown object into space, uh, 
the decision is made to utilize the tractor beam mm-hmm. pull it over, then they beam it on board the Enterprise and assess. You know, I was um, going to say that this already sounds cliche, but I guess it being the third aired episode and the second shot episode, I, it wasn't cliche yet. So yeah, it, it's literally like you will hear a lot of cliches born in this episode. Yeah, but, but as you're listening, remember this is the first time they've ever happened. They're actually novel and 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 ingenious at this point. It's like watching that. Um, have you ever seen the Great Outdoors, the Dan Aykroyd movie? Yes, I love that movie. <laughs> every, every, uh, I don't, I don't know, like vacation at the lake movie has been based on, and if like it's just like it's so predictable, but it's only predictable because everyone else ripped it off. So right, like you know, like the the love affair with the townie girl, and you know the 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 bear. And, uh, you know, and Dan Aykroyd being a dick. Like, none of these have happened until that episode. Now they happen all the time. Yeah, and just just to give the uh, the, the few who aren't familiar with the, the backstory here uh, a little bit more um, context, there was an original pilot uh, made called The Cage um, that uh, starred someone that wasn't William Shatner. Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter in the Pike role uh, yep. played oh so much better by uh, Bruce Greenwood and his hair uh, uh, in the in the Kelvin timeline. Uh, so NBC uh, didn't like the cage; they thought it was too cerebral. Uh, it was really cerebral, literally, they, actually. Yeah, yeah, they they're big brain guys. Have, uh, have you have you have we done that one? No, we no, we will do a version of it at the yeah. very least. So uh, I believe in the second or third season, they ran out of money. Um, so they did an, another, actually another TV first. They had like a a clip show, but the show basically showed the former episode. So it was just some framing like, I wonder what's yeah. going to happen. And then they, uh, then they have it. That's the episode where, where um, Captain Pike, <laughs> because they, I don't think they could get the same actor or something happened. He's paralyzed and is in the giant black wheelchair with the beep, beep for yes and beep, beep for no, no. So uh, wait, 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 wait a minute. Well, that wasn't, it, that wasn't from. Uh, Family Guy or South Park or whatever. No, it, it, that was well, ripped I'm off. Sure from they Star borrowed Trek. it. Yeah, yeah, they yes, were subconsciously. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah was, you're right. It's, it's very Davros, like come to think of it. Although it predates Davros too, because Davros isn't until the '80s. So, so everybody's ripping off this this horrible wheelchair. Davros I mean, would have been. Yeah, it does predate Davros. Yeah. Um, but and I think we'll find out. I think that's the first space trial episode. A, a tried and true. There might be that one first. Yeah, it's, it's this is the middle of season one where this comes out because uh, and this was actually literally the script. Well, number one, it was one of the few scripts Gene Roddenberry actually like wrote. Wrote and num- and it, he said it was the thing he was most proud of. Uh, and I think it was nominated for, you know, Hugo. Um, Maybe. We'll see. The, I don't like the cage. I don't remember the, the menagerie as well. 
Uh, but but anyway, NBC uh, made the unprecedented decision. Uh, they, they saw this wagon train to the stars uh, premise, this uh, um, uh, humanistic uh, uh, science fiction uh, thing uh, fit in their vision, and it also fit in the in the RCA's objective of selling color televisions. So they made the unprecedented decision to do a second pilot, mm-hmm. uh, which is no less cerebral, uh, but has uh, uh, a crackling action. And, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to disagree, Doug. It's less cerebral than the cage. Uh, it is very much giving the, the, the network creeps what they wanted. It's, it's much more exciting. Um, and we should also point out that, you know, the viewer's experience. So as we remember from last time, you know, episode two of Star Trek was a was an episode in which they watched uh, someone, like, deal with the problems of turning into a god. And so in this episode, the third episode, they will now watch someone, at least one person, uh, come to grips with the problems of becoming a god. So, um, as you can tell, this is like a, a, a something that 60s audiences really like to grapple with, or, or is the only idea Gene Roddenberry had. Yeah, and uh, yeah, which we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, but it, it in some ways is. Uh, <laughs> there were very few things he had firm positions on, but uh, God images and fake deities being one of them. Uh, but... But, it, but let's get to this teaser, yeah. because we're going to have to start sh- shitting out some scores here. So, so the <laughs> teaser's interesting. Uh, just the, it, the, um, the narration, the captain's narration talks about the Enterprise's intent to probe outside the galaxy. Yeah. And, I guess, and they do leave the galaxy here, and I guess it's the first experience of the galactic barrier. But we'll talk about that in the appropriate segment. Uh, we open with Kirk and Spock playing three-dimensional chess for the first time. And uh, Shatner is totally on point from the very first second. Uh, Leonard Nimoy is not quite there yet. And this is a nope. very kind of oriental cliche, Spock. Uh, irritating. Ah, yes. One of your Earth emotions. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't quite have the character yet. Uh, he's, he's more stilted. I mean, if, if you had seen the cage, you've actually seen he's taken the character much further than he, he did. So, so Spock is actually, I believe, the only character to carry over um, from the original pilot. If I may um, interject here, the cage is a great song by Sonata Arctica. Yeah. Carry on. So that that keeps that keeps the metal audience engaged. That's like that's, right. that's like well, when they had to write uh, Trump's name in the middle of the PDB. We <laughs> keep reading. Also, also, uh, Cage the band, good vocalist. All right, go ahead. And also, Johnny Cage, known fighter in that's Mortal right. Kombat. That's right. Have you watched the new Mortal Kombat? I have. It's really good. Oh, uh, you had time while yeah. watching all this. Star Trek stuff, all the all all the mortal. This is another episode, but all the Mortal Kombat nerds hate it. I I liked it. Well, I probably like it too. You know, uh, it, it looks good. Anyway, so you were talking about Sonata Arctica or something? Yeah. So Sonata. So so the Enterprise is basically going to cross the barrier uh, that separates our galaxy from the rest of space. 
I, you know, as as I'm sure many of our as I'm sure many of our astronomer friends know, there is a pink wavering barrier that keeps our galaxy together. Uh, and the uh-huh. galactic now now you might be confusing this with the Great Barrier, which is at the center of the galaxy, but that's something else entirely. This is we'll the galactic yeah. barrier. Yeah. We'll get to that later. So so they're 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 puzzled. So so they're playing their three dimensional chess, and you know Kirk is spot on, and Spock's not quite right. Um, but they get an alert from the bridge that they're receiving a distress call. Which itself is strange because, as far as they know, they're the furthest out that any Earth ship has ever gone. They're literally where no man has gone before. Yeah, and they and they have some. They know it's a human ship, and they did. They have no idea. Uh, I think that they may know it's from the Valiant at this point, uh, or, or a very old ship, and they. They don't. It's a shock to them that someone might have made it out this far two hundred years earlier. Uh, so, Kirk, Which, uh, what year would that be? You know, like twenty twenty one something or other. Right, yeah, so not too, not too we, long. We'd have to translate the star dates. It can be done. Uh, we'll we'll enrich the the podcast with a. Overway, um, <laughs> no, no, we won't. <laughs> so, and and what I like here is that there's this probe. Kirk gives the uh, uh, Kelso up at the de- the flight deck the uh, command to uh, pull it in, and Played from the very Ashton beginning, Butcher, right? Uh, <laughs> I I forget what this comes out in, but uh, the, there's the famous Kirk saying of uh, "risk is our business." And you see and a is rip good. from the first uh, moment here. So they, they pull this in, they beam it on, and in one of my favorite character moments of the episode, you see Kirk meticulously inspecting the transporting process to make sure, like, like he, if he adds value, he's walking the console on the other side. And then they beam the, the probe, or, well, it's a, they refer to it as a... Uh, old style ship recorder and it looks kind of like a farming implement like <laughs> like you used to store grain yeah um but it has a valiant on it and uh uh it's kind of dinged up and from this spock surmises that it was the result of the ship being destroyed because this is one of the old style ones that detaches from the ship uh and then then it starts beeping, uh, which they interpret or know means that it's transmitting. Um, and this, this uh, concerns them. Uh, so they, uh, they flash the bridge, uh, and they're going to run the output through Mr. Spock's computer. Uh, then uh, uh, General Quarters is sounded, and we cut to the hallway, and we see all the activity and very colorful soundstage and uh, end teaser. Question. Now, I, I just did. Oh, before your question, I just did some research. Uh, so apparently, the season one episodes take place in the year twenty two sixty. So that two hundred year old starship is going to be launched in, in forty oh. years. 
that's that's exciting. We the anniversary of this podcast. Uh, oh, ooh. yeah, we can do all of these. We'll revisit all this in 40 years in line with the star dates. Perfect. Well, the fun thing is we'll probably just be getting to Voyager by then. <laughs> so maybe the astronauts of the SS Valiant will be listening to podcasts of down as they travel out somewhere out in space. Was that... Uh... Was that an intentional Gamma Ray reference? It was. It really was. <laughs> I know my shit. I know my audience. So why do they call him Mr. Spock? I mean, he has a rank. And, uh, you know, in, in the Navy, you're, you are you got to call someone by their rank. It's a sign of respect and that you know your place relative to them. I, th- I think it's intended to emphasize his otherness, but in the context of the show is a sign of respect. I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree that it's not respectful. And, and well, I think, and, they're, I think they're, 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 they're trying to bring him down, man. Well, that, that's so, a fair reading. And, and, and in all fairness, the, uh, the spot character is not there yet in this episode. And the, because all Gene Roddenberry wanted to do in creating Spock, he wanted an alien, and he wanted to piss off Christians in the South. So that's why he had devil uh, I, ears, I and that's why he originally that. had red skin. Uh, so that's all, all Leonard Nimoy was given to work with. And then, then comes the logic in this episode, and the, the Spock persona gradually forms. But there are some off moments in this episode. Another theory I have is, so Gene Roddenberry, despite all the Navy trappings uh, of Star Trek, was in the Army Air Corps. He knows nothing about the Navy. Right, yeah. Boo! Boo this man. He's a pilot, right? So everything he knows about the Navy... Hey, hey, don't throw that word around because all the real pilots are in the Navy. uh, Okay, he's 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 an aircraft... You know how fucking hard it is to land a... Uh, a plane on a boat it's really it, fucking hard i mean it, it is really it is really fucking hard. i remember a a, a a veterans day joke that we can't say on the air but uh, um well i will refer you to the documentary top gun okay yeah thank you <laughs> and, and the upcoming sequel documentary top gun maverick which i'm looking forward to see right. um whenever it comes out. Uh, it might be out by the time you're listening to this episode. But, but anyway, all Roddenberry knows about the Navy comes from Horatio Hornblower uh, novels. So I think it's like 18th century British Navy speak. So if you think like Mr. Christian, Mr. Fletcher, I, I think it's just ripping off that, to be honest. Yeah, and, and the show is, and this is the brilliance of the show that we'll get into, uh, and I hope this comes out in some of our scoring over time, but uh, uh, the, the show is uh, very indecisive over what uh, what becomes known as Starfleet is. Uh, Gene Roddenberry al- always asserted it was a uh, more of a paramilitary organization in line with the Coast Guard which doesn't explain why Kirk does direct police action against the Romulans. All right. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Well, and refers no, to himself as a soldier. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> the space version the, of the coast guard is the space force. Well, I, I did like, uh, yeah, the, it's not quite accurate, but the, um, the, the Christopher Pike description of the Federation in the, the Abrams, the first Kelvin one, is pretty eloquent. 
and almost there. Like the interplanetary armada of yeah, it's just like something about peace, but yeah, we'll go to war too. We can. Yeah, it's like we're a peacekeeping scientific death machine. Yeah, I mean, if they were if they were really <laughs> trying to operate like the Coast Guard, they'd be. Uh, you know, uh, confiscating that gambling thing that, uh, I mean, I mean the, the drug video game thing. Oh, the game the crusher had. Yeah. The, oh uh, yeah. We're going to talk about that too. You put yeah, the yeah. In the oh, and there's some game, there's some game stuff coming up in a few episodes. That's true. I also, all right, all right I will I, stop derailing. <laughs> hold on. I need to derail one more because, uh, sure. I'm very annoyed at the coast guard. So as you know, the coast guard operates either under the, Secretary of Homeland Security in peacetime right. or the Secretary of Defense in war. So if you've done as much reading legal text as I have, you will come across the phrase, the Department of the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of whatever department the Coast Guard happens to be operating under. Coast Guard. Coast Guard. And it's just, ah, Coast Guard. But thank you for your service, yeah. Coast Guardsman. Yes, actually. And, yes. and the <laughs> the, the structure, the relationship between Starfleet, the Federation, and the United Space Probe Agency gets US just as, Yeah. It gets just as confusing. And we'll, um, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's time for teaser scores. So, Doug, what is your metal score for the teaser? You know, I went with a seven here, and it's... Okay. A, it, I, and like we said in the ground rules, between three and seven, we don't have to justify. Uh, but I will justify. <laughs> uh, they, they beam a, uh, a, a, a metal object that is kind of intimidating looking into the ship. I, I'm going to stick with this score. I think it's a little, you know what, I'm, it's a... It's a five. <laughs> we got some imagery, but there's no content. And uh, so far as the, the uh, effectiveness, the quality of this teaser, I also give it a five. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, interest generated here, but it's like, ooh, we beamed a farming device that starts blinking onto the ship. We don't really know what it, it's capable of yet. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually going to score even lower. I think in terms of metalness, it's a it's a two. Um, it's ooh. people sitting around. You're uh, talking for that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> see, I know the rules. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's people sitting around talking. Nothing really happens. The most exciting thing that happens is a little light starts blinking on a trash can, and people start freaking out. And, and for some reason, that starts at general quarters, which I don't understand because they know they're beaming aboard a data probe, and when it starts transmitting data, everyone flips the fuck out. I mean, that's literally what it is. They even say, well, it's an old recorder probe, or, or something of that sense. Um, in quality, um, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a five. D Doug is right there. Um, it's, it's average. It's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's interesting. I'm, I'm going to continue watching past the teaser. All right. Well, All right. well for, the, for the metal score... I'm going to go ahead and give it an eight because they found something and it fucking did something. And that's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> there were lasers potentially. Uh, no lasers. They don't, well, there was a light. You don't know if it was a laser or not. I, I, 
I suppose it could have been a laser. Uh, There's a tractor beam that we don't see. There's a tractor beam. That's a bunch of lasers. Tractors are, well, tractors are made of metal. Uh, Let's see. The, uh, it starts transmitting stuff. It could be spying on them, you you know, betraying trust. That's pretty metal. Yeah. yeah. We're going to get to some betraying trust and surveillance shit here. All right. But uh, for quality, I'm going to have to go with a, a three, because from okay. your description, it, it doesn't sound very good. <laughs> so, you know, your mention of lasers and the tractor beam, there was one thing that we before we move on, I do want to mention. So they mentioned that they're in tractor beam range, but they're not yet in visual range, which makes me wonder what sort of radiation or something. How does the tractor beam work that it's better than light? At the ability to see something. Oh, ooh, ooh! I'm gonna have to knock. But I'm sorry, your scores have no, already no, been I'm recorded. No, no, knocking off two metal uh, points. I, I for think, that. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna give it a six. Cause, okay. Because uh, uh, the tractor beam is is likely made of light. Yeah. <laughs> and or I or it's some particle it. wave function. And, and uh, it goes back so, to Kirk taking risk, which, because they don't even know what it looks like. But he's like, yep. <laughs> Yep, oh, tractor number. Beam it uh, in. I'm going to adjust back up to a seven because that's a good point. All right, go ahead with Act <laughs> That's pretty metal. <laughs> All, right, so. All right, so so Act Two, uh, I don't think uh, no, we're ready. This is Act One. Duh. Yeah, Act One. Yeah, that's right. The teaser is not Act One. Good. Thanks for holding me accountable, Matt. Um, <laughs> so we open on the bridge. I don't remember the narration being particularly, uh, we found something and brought it on board the ship. This first shot is interesting um, because all the black people leave the bridge and are replaced by white people. Um, I'm going to have to... I want to dock all the scores immediately and just give them zeros. uh, Yeah, well, there's there's replacement theory in action. uh, But, you know, the, the, the opposite probably more accurate way in throughout the course of history. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, and uh, so they, they get on the bridge, they can, uh, go over to Mr. Spock's computer. Um, uh, he's, he starts listening to the signal, and uh, I, I thought this was pretty effective, but uh, he reweighs the narrative. They find out it's the, it's the ship of the Valiant that uh, the crew of the Valiant, um, bad things were going on. People were dying. Uh, the captain became very interested in what the data banks had to say about ESPERS or ESP. Yep. Um, and then, uh, then the ship uh, blows up. Uh, and I guess, um, yeah, before this, we meet uh, Gary Mitchell. Yeah, so Gary Mitchell is, is sitting in the usual Sulu seat, and we learn he's the second officer of the Enterprise. He's he's Kirk's best friend. They've known each other for 15 years. Um, they've served together, uh, you know, and Gary Mitchell is like one of those iconic Star Trek characters that we've all come to know and love. And, and this scene also introduces a lot of those other people. So, so as they're preparing to cross the Great Barrier, um, uh, Kirk calls all the section heads. So all the section heads are listening to Spock read out the, the Valiant's uh, last moments. 
So we have uh, the Astro Sciences Chief, Commander Sulu. We have the Engineering uh, Chief Engineer, Montgomery Scott. Um, and of course, our two most beloved characters, Chief Medical Officer Mike, or sorry, Mark Piper. You don't even and know his name. The Life Sciences <laughs> Division, yeah. Life Sciences Division and the ship's psychiatrist, Dr. Elizabeth Daner. Yeah, all beloved Star Trek characters that we meet. <laughs> it is, uh, I, I got to give this segment credit for doing a good job in, in introducing in a coherent way the operations of a starship and the, the structure of this imagined future. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I suppose we should talk about uh, uh, the, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Starting 2001, plays Gary Mitchell. Good performance. I love how checked out and cocky he is. Even yeah, he's a dick. Yeah, and like, uh, even before what happens to him happens to him, you you kind of dislike him. He's, he's arrogant. Is there a reason Memory Alpha lifts lists his height? Because <laughs> that seems like know, an unnecessary yeah. detail. He's five nine. It, oh, it was, maybe that was like in the medical readout or something. Yeah, it is in the that. Yeah, that that's why. That's slide. why. They, yeah, that's why they do that. It's a short. Yeah, I would think people in the future would be taller, <laughs> especially someone who's lived in space for so long. You know, and all that artificial gravity. Um, yeah. Okay, so so we uh, so we we hear this. We hear kind of this. Um, chilling thing that Spock is unsure but he believes uh, that the last thing before the ship is destroyed that that the captain of the Valiant is trying to figure out if he can destroy his own ship like that's destruct. pretty metal I mean that is pretty metal um, so there's a big mystery uh, they know it has claimed the lives of however many people from the Valiant so Kirk being Kirk and being in the business of risk decides there's nothing to do but steam forward and cross the Great Barrier. Yeah. Not, galactic I, Barrier. Galactic Barrier. Sorry. Galactic Barrier, not the Great Barrier. And I suppose we should touch on some of the character dynamics. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, Gary Mitchell's a dick. And then he has that exchange with um, the uh, Dr. Dr. Durr. Denner. Denner, yeah. Where um, she... Uh, yeah, yeah, he says he, she's just trying to improve the breed, and then she's like, "That's I thought that's your thing. And then he calls her a walking refrigerator unit. Yep. You know, starting some tension. And then, uh, yeah, so the ship steams the barrier, and I do love Gary Mitchell is so checked out and doesn't care, yet the yeoman, uh, whose name I think is Barbara Miller, according to Memory Beta, comes over and sort of, he gets the girl. She starts holding his hand yeah. there in the bridge. <clears throat> Military. Uh, Gotta hold hands in scary situations. What exactly is a yeoman? That's a, that's a real Navy thing, or was, maybe the Royal Navy and Horatio yeah. Hornblower days, but it's a, it's a recorder. Uh, they, they, they play a recorder function for the, the ship's records. Particularly the captain. There, there, I mean, typically sure you'll see. Not. Typically, you'll see the yeoman on a on a Starfleet ship carrying around the space clipboard, um, and we'll see a lot of space clipboards. Yeah. And so, so 
oftentimes uh, an episode will begin uh, or end uh, with captains signing the the etch-a-sketch looking space clipboard there's a lot of Um, space paperwork it's a big rule book the enterprise it may be out there but they got a lot of responsibilities yeah, so it, it looks like uh, Yeoman was a military rank. It was discontinued uh, in, in, in uh, oh, it's actually still be continued. Um, but uh, their jobs included um, taking care of the storerooms for the gunners, carpenters, and boatswains. Uh, that word is pronounced bosun? Bosun, bosun. Even though there's all sorts of extra letters in there. <laughs> Well, the, um, sounds boring as shit. Why, well, why did hold on, now, the now's when it gets exciting. So we, we crossed the galactic barrier, yep. and uh, yeah. and that's that's a sound and light show. There's a lot of awe, uh, reverential awe from both us, the audience, and the, the people on the bridge. Then they approach the, uh, the artifact that they're seeking, and everything just turns to shit uh, real quickly. And uh, Kirk's like, put the gravitation on automatic. Uh, and then stuff starts exploding. And then the, uh, yeah, Gary Mitchell uh, and some other people on the bridge are uh, kind of knocked out. Um, and, and Kirk has to dive in and take over the helm. There's a really cool photo negative effect when they hit the energy wave. Um, so like everything like goes into photo negative for a minute. It's very, it was very metal. Yeah. One of the more metal moments, this segment. Can I um, interject? Cause I got down to the modern Navy yeoman. <laughs> section, <laughs> and it says today's yeoman. So this is, this is several hundred years before Star Trek. But they perform administrative and clerical work. Their duties include protocol, naval instructions, enlisted evaluations, commission officer fitness reports, naval messages, visitors, telephone calls, mail, both conventional and... It's the most fucking boring job! Why are there so many of them on the starships? Well, it's structured a little differently in Starfleet, but some of those responsibilities are overlapping. But but it's an important position. Um, You're you're talking about explosions and energy pulses, and they make it a point to have many of the ranks of the people there be clerical workers it's well, it's so and, lame and kirk also made the interesting decision if i recall of keeping his all of his command staff on the bridge rather than their functional areas uh do their job yeah but you know and uh, you know, risk is part of the business uh yeah. and and, business and nine is good. people when they start doing their system assessments uh nine people died and kirk's pretty nonchalant about it because mm-hmm. It, it's just, he, he's a soldier. This is how it goes. And human life is meaningless. Got it. <laughs> All right. And Matt, I, I can't remember. Is this when they, do they talk, do they start, fig, no, they figure out the damage to the ship in the next segment, right? So we got to yeah. So, that. So it, this, this actually ends with them um, uh, seeing that everything is out 
Um, they've crossed the barrier. Nine people are dead. And, and it ends um, with looking at our, our man GM and seeing his freaky metal eyes. Yeah, the doctor goes over to them, and it's an awesome pause Zoom that's, that's pretty effing effective and, and kind of intense. All right, so, so, so let's score this, this section. Uh, yeah, on the metal, again, I, I'm calibrating my score as I go here. I'm going to drop, I had it at a seven. I'm going to drop it to a, a six. Uh, okay. all, all the discussion of ESP uh, and espers and their uh, potential superiority to other people uh, that, uh, that that Spock and the psychiatrist have, you know, that's pretty metal. Um, <laughs> uh, ESP, people with that are a known thing, and there's dialogue about um, yeah, how, how people who can start fires with their mind uh, and all that there's like normal ones and then there's you now hold on i have in my notes this is actually in the next segment but they do bring up they do have the discussion about espers it's pretty it's pretty metal yep. i thought the eye zoom's pretty metal and gary mitchell's fuck all attitude is metal as hell just that he's like yeah i'll fly this and then he's like holding the chick's hand and he's like hey everyone fuck you and Kirk's just like, he's my friend. He's cool. So uh, six on the metal side. Okay. Quality, I'm going nine. Uh, wow. Like I said, I think this is a good introduction to the to the. I, I thought the um, the the Spock relaying the uh, uh, the 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 transmission. There's some good drama threaded into that. Uh, that, that plays out with the characters on the bridge. It's actually one of the more effective scenes I can think of like that, where all he's doing is saying what he hears on a tape, but it, it kind of builds to something. And then uh, it's a good introduction to the ship's functions. When, when Kirk calls everyone up, you sort of see everyone's place. It feels like a, a real reality. And then you got the, the two intense segments. Um, uh, the crossing what was the first one i noted too oh the uh the, yeah, the, the barrier the, yeah the barrier and then spock relaying the message and then it's like fuck espers that's why are they talking about espers look up espers mr spock and then you know kirk stands unnaturally close and uh, and, uh we'll get to it it's in the next sequence where's where um uh, they start finishing each other's sentences. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, nine for a quality score. Okay, I, I, I actually think this is a pretty metal act. Uh, I'm going to give it a... Uh, I'm also going to give it a, a six. Um, it could be more metal, but it's pretty solidly metal. Certainly slightly more metal than average. Um, and quality, I'm, uh, I'm going to go seven. I mean, uh, again, I think Doug makes a really solid case. Um, it does, again, you get some strange things. Uh, for example, Spock mentions the Great Barrier or the energy field, or one of them uh, measures on the deflectors, but not the scanners. 
and that just seemed unnecessary and strange to me. Uh, but, but pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's stronger than the teaser for sure. All right. Well, uh, both of you gave it sixes, which automatically I, means I yeah, give it a six. That's you like know, a law of metal. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. You know, I will acknowledge they were reckless, which is metal. People died, which is metal. Um, but for quality, I'm going to have to give it a one because one, yeah, because uh, the scene opened with with racism, and then <laughs> and then uh, you know it's half, pretty half, half the crew is there for bureaucracy. So you know, it sounds pretty fucking awful to me so well i feel i'm gonna have to i feel like your i feel like your score is mostly based on the fact that yeomans are a thing yeah. uh, i i will not deny that but uh, i'm gonna <laughs> stick with my one all right all, all right and, and that's why we got this segmented approach because unless tim encounters the same issues with yeomans in the next segment yeah <laughs> it, it's isolated to, to here uh, and Let's get it's a firewall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and he justified it. Um, okay, so now we got uh, Act uh, Two. Two. Um, yeah, and then in the narration, Kirk mentions that the main engines are out. They're uh, you know white years away. They're four years away from any Earth bases. But the overriding question is, what happened to the Valiant? Which I thought was interesting. Uh, he has a lot of faith in his crew uh, and has his eye on the target, which is this mystery plot and not fixing his ship. So we open with that. Um, yeah, then we have the... Uh, I, I guess that yeah, Gary Mitchell is put in the... Uh, dispensary in the life sciences uh, functional area uh, with Dr. Dr. Piper and uh, uh, the psychiatrist. Daner, uh, Dr. Daner. I'm probably showing some unconscious bias by not re remembering Remembering the woman's name, Doug. I, I apologize to the audience. I'm going to write that on the top of the sheet. She's the only woman character at play besides Barbara Miller. Yeah, and we're going to talk. I so let's just set a ground rule that we won't get into the the memory beta rabbit hole okay. until sure. after, unless it's interesting. Well, oh, there's until, a lot there's, until after. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll, we're going to do it after. Maybe we'll yeah we'll do it in between the scoring. You know, because we got to have time to to do get all the counting done. So, because <laughs> right. I'm I'm doing this with an abacus, we should note. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, so so Gary Mitchell was put into the uh, dispersory, um, and uh, yeah, and this is when uh, Kirk and Spock start to look at the uh, the Esper thing, figure out what happened to Gary Mitchell. Yeah, and it's the first moment where uh, Spock finishes a sentence that Kirk starts. And yeah, they, they have a exchange here with Dr. Daner, Dr. Daner, 
um, where she makes a case uh, because she, uh, she uh, Starfleet in the few actually measures esperability ESP mm-hmm. capacity, and she's unusually high. And uh, you know, she makes a case that there's a difference between normal ESP power and this this still to her hypothetical ESP power that the Valiants seem to have encountered. And uh, uh, Kirk having this humanitarian instinct feels one way, and then the cold Mr. Spock is like, you know, one of these, uh, if this shit's real, we could end up as the same place as the Valiant. So kill, kill them. And then, uh, then Kirk visits Gary Mitchell. Um, they uh, were not going to go down the memory, uh, the, the memory beta rabbit holes here. Oh. But they, they talk about their past. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, uh, I think on, um, Denera 4, uh, he'd overdone in psychoactive substances and kind of exper- compared his experiences to that. Yep. And then uh, Kirk, uh, he was under Kirk at Starfleet Academy, and Kirk was known as the guy always carrying around the books, and you didn't want to be in Jim Kirk's class because you had to read. Bookish um, Jim Kirk. Yeah, and and he, uh, to, as a strategy to get away from this, steered that pretty blonde, little blonde technician to, toward Kirk to distract him and Kirk nearly married her and we'll get into why she's significant in another segment. And she oh, is yeah. significant. Mm-hmm. Um, Sexy and yeah. Time. And uh, yeah, he's um, now he's into the learning. Now he's into the books and he's reading Spinoza. He thinks Spinoza is childish and yeah, he's reading all the long hair stuff that Kirk was trying to get him to read back in the Academy days. Um, and, and and so then uh, uh, he, Kirk assigns Dr. Danner to work with him. Um, it, there's just a lot of sick bay talking about books in this act. I'm not going to lie. Um, there's another pointless Gene Roddenberry self-plug uh, where he um, has inserted a poem he wrote about his own airplane. Uh, entitled Nightingale Woman, uh, and we are told it was one of the most beautiful poems ever. Uh, totally unnecessarily, totally meaningless. Um, as we, as I like to do with poetry, um, let me let me read you uh, that that poem. <clears throat> this is from page three hundred eighty-seven of the uh, of the book, by the way. The, the uh, poet Tarode from the planet. Poet Tarode. Yeah, uh, campus and. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, let you finish your poem and then go into the further significance of this poet. My love has wings, slender, feathered wings, with grace in upswept curve and tapered tip. End of poem. <laughs> yeah, and, and this, uh, this poet is, uh, the, the poem was written in 1996. Uh, on the, I didn't note the planet, um, but uh, <laughs> that we learn in a Deep Space Nine episode called "The Muse." That oh, yeah, holy shit, yeah, all the pieces fit. 
Um, so it was actually a, uh, um, uh, a transcendental being that inspired these great words. And I'll just cheat on the memory beta thing, but in a, one of the novels, Picard has a collected works of the poet. Um, so they're queerly read. Uh, this isn't a fad. A uh, right. hundred years later, uh, very well-known poet for that kind of beautiful writing. Um, yeah, so then, uh, then we cut to a one of the first uh, conference scenes, a uh, conference room scenes, and they walk, well, no, I think uh, this, this happened, yeah, I think this happens before the surveillance part, which is interesting, uh, but yeah, the conference room table is covered with um, uh, discs, I mean, they look like post-it mm -hmm. notes, but they're discs, it's like walking into a conference room and it's covered in floppy discs, <laughs> With, there are no computers. It's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, we don't really understand how that how it all works. Yeah, there, there's plentiful space clipboards as well. Uh, not the boxy ones we'll see later, but a much more clipboardy looking space clipboard. Yeah, and it, and then they start um, uh, talking about Gary Mitchell's uh, transformation because I think um, I think in the continuity they're doing surveillance. They they have them under yeah. constant surveillance. <clears throat> And Spock and uh, Kirk are watching everything he reads and everything he does, uh, so they can see his um, uh, the the growth of the Esper ability and uh, increasing mischievousness in his application of it. Uh, so in in the conference room, they're talking about potential trajectories. Um, with Spock again being the coldly rational one and pointing out that this is could endanger the whole ship, that that's a starting point. Uh, and then we have Kirk's humanitarian streak. Uh, um, uh, Suwu, uh, who is the resident math expert, chips in here and talks about uh, uh, his powers are increasing. It's a, a geometric geometrically. Increase. And then, fortunately, Spock is there to analyze and interpret that statement and translate it to um, the, the, how that, the actual trajectory, rather than just the pure mathematical assessment that Suwu gave. Uh, I would argue that a geometric progression is high school math now. <laughs> so in I the mean, future, that should be very well understood by members of a starship. So we also know that 80 years from now, like a 10 year old is learning calculus. Um, but uh, maybe, maybe that's, maybe he's just really smart. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't learn Latin anymore, but you could argue. I mean, we should. people who live on a spaceship should understand geometric growth, but uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, they, they learn about it a lot later in, uh, in the trouble with tribbles. Maybe it's kind of like so, a kind of like a idiocracy type future. You know, everything's you know dumb buttons until well, the next I, generation I think, when everything yeah. is is frequency and resonance. Yeah, it's what you need to know changes once we get out there, and this small potatoes. Uh, type of calculation, you know, Mr. Spock's computer is there for that. Now, right, interpreting yeah. astrophysics uh, uh, faster than light travel, all of that, that's what you learn in school. 
Uh, but but anyway, they're they're nearby a um, uh, unmanned uh, uh, lithium mining lithium. plant. Yep, a planet, I should say. Uh, that they can get there uh, in uh, uh, subspace via impulse, uh, subspace travel, or uh, and uh, they there's a decision point here as to whether to attempt to abandon Gary Mitchell here, uh, and and this is a, one of the first uh, Kirk Spock kind of spats because Kirk uh, Spock's like. I'm just being rational. I'm laying out the facts. You can kill him now, you can maroon him, or you endanger us all. Do you want to kill him now or wait till you get home? <laughs> Basically, yes. Shoot me now, shoot me now. Turned into a Bugs Bunny episode. Yeah. So, then- I'll keep, keep going, Dad. I, I have a question before we close out this act. But I th- That's all uh, as far as I, I think uh, now cut, uh, fade to commercial. Okay, so, so uh, one thing I want to mention about this plan is we've seen them go through the galactic barrier, and they're, they're really happy about that. But as, assumingly, Delta Vega, the planet they're going to drop off Gary Mitchell, uh, is back on the other side. But we never actually see them recross the galactic barrier. Maybe it's um, only one way. But it could only be one way. Uh, actually, in a later episode, we learn it is certainly not just one way, but we'll save that for, for later. Um, so, so, again... Who knows if more Enterprise crewmen died on the second time, if, if Gary Mitchell got super, super charged uh, when they doubled back. But that's kind of unspoken. And, and the more I think about it, the more it bothers me. Was there just like a back door? Like, oh, we could, could have taken the back door through the galactic barrier. Yeah. It's clear. Or the Federation... I mean, maybe they, they, this planet was all assembled by, uh, uh, you know, robotics, drones, and this was technically the first starship to cross, but, uh, USPA devices. But, uh, but I'm, I'm with you now. I, I'm lowering my score on the basis of this. I mean, they say, they say he, uh, they, Kirk says he will be alone. And the ore ships only visit once every twenty years. So there, there are at least that. That the only reason to bring this up is if there were people on those ore ships and, and saying he'll be alone for twenty years at that's, minimum. That's true. If it were automatic ships, it would be who, different than who gives a shit, right? So, so yeah. I mean, that is a kind of problematic for me. Um, but all right, that's Act Two. All, all right, right. So are your scores. You are so not into this anymore. <laughs> so on the metal side, no, um, no, no, I'm just waiting to give my score because I have a good one. On the metal side, we we didn't really emphasize this, but it's very present in the episode enough. But the, there is this Orwellian surveillance, the you know the Panopticon. They're just mm-hmm. watching everything Gary Mitchell's doing, and kind of you know maybe yeah like borderline inappropriate watching and then there's the edification of the superior um so on the basis of those two things so so these uh 
these hypothetical, uh, I forget the exact quote that Dr. Daner says, but uh, wouldn't a, you know, something about a superior man be a superior man? Why is that a problem? So both of those two things, surveillance and edification of the superior, are very metal. So I actually <laughs> give it a seven. Oh. Um, on the quality side, I, you know, I had given it an eight uh, because I thought it really laid out a coherent universe that already feels <laughs> expansive. But Matt has pointed out this this glaring issue, so I'm actually going to reduce this score to a five. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, I, I don't think this act was very metal at all. I mean, we should mention that ever since the accident, Gary Mitchell has had these weird um, metallic eyes, which I'm sure did like severe damage to Gary Lockwood's like physical body. Uh, but um, That's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, except for that, uh, it's mostly people talking about books. Uh, reminiscing about lost loves, uh, sitting at desks. So I'm going to have to give this a metal rating of two. Um, and even though we get lots of good exposition, it's not the most... Uh, it's a setting up act. It, it, it's, it's laying the pieces, much like Mr. Spock's three-dimensional chess. It's laying pieces in place for our, our final act. Um, so I, I think I have to give it a, a, a grudging five. Um, but mostly because of the role it plays later on than the, the act itself. What was your metal score? I'm sorry, I missed it. Two. It was two. That's right. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a metal score of one because it's all, it's all feelings and, uh, bureaucracy again. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of nothing and then some clipboards. <laughs> You know, for those reasons, I, I will also give the quality a low score of three. Wow. I'm glad you gave a three so you don't have to justify it. Three with question mark on it. <laughs> I, I can't figure question marks into the uh, into the matrix I have here, so I'll just give it a three. Nor can I. It doesn't, like, I'm hoping the end pays off. Although, I... Mm. I'm wondering if I should bump it up because the actor might have gotten hurt with the metal eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, they did. Oh, they did? <laughs> All right. Well, I'll give a full point back on the metal score, make it a two, and I'll give a half point back on the quality because someone so, suffered so, for it. So it's three and a half. So 3.5, which, which has really done amazing things to your average quality score. <laughs> All right, so now we're so we're combining the last two acts because one of the acts is literally like forty five seconds long. Um, so now we are we're here, Doug. Everything yeah, we've been waiting for. We're combined. If you're following along on Memory Alpha, we are combining four and uh, three and four, right? Right, that's correct, and that's a good point, Tim. We should be pointing out to the viewers is we can't speak to everything in these. So if they want to know the nitty gritty. Memory Alpha is a great source, and we are using that as the source of record for the act structure, unless we uh, specifically stipulate any modifications. I mean, now that you're probably like 50 minutes into the episode, I should also point out that our breakdowns of these episodes are often longer than the episode itself, but I think they're also better. Uh, in in fact, for, they are yeah. better. 
They work for Red Letter Media, so. Yeah. Here's a seven-hour review of a 30-minute episode of the Orville. <laughs> their, their next gen stuff's great if you haven't it watched is. it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, th- this this is the Gangbusters Act, I think. We'll find out with the, when we get to the scores. But yeah. So they're on Delta <laughs> Vega. Um, so the this is where the um it's lithium, but it's a little more than lithium uh that they need to Repo- uh, uh, yeah, repopulate is not the right word Re, um, reload the engines essentially so they can get uh, uh, the warp drive and the mains back online and, oh uh, we yeah. should we should before they beam down this is the very first time in Star Trek that someone does the sneak behind you and hyperspray the super intelligent being with ESP so, so we know that Gary Mitchell can see the future <laughs> type O spray I said hypo spray. It sounded like hyper spray, so it might it might have been hypo my hypo spray. It's Irish, and I I would ask you to respect it. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, it is it is possible that I, in my enthusiasm, said hyper spray versus hypo spray. Um, but again, like earlier in Act Two, we we uh, Gary Mitchell somehow knew that the engines were going to explode if you didn't take a conduit. Um, offline, and and he was right, but he he can't tell people are sneaking up behind him <laughs> to, to tranquilize them. So that happens. Yeah, Psychic and good point. Canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> and, and good point, Matt. Uh, uh, hold me accountable there because we skipped. I, I was about to skip half the act. Um, yeah, and then we get the good line. Uh, you fools! Soon I'll squash you like insects. Uh, when they're they have him tranquilized and they're taking him down to uh, was it Delta Vega? Delta Vega. Uh, so yeah, and uh, I I guess Delta Vega has a uh, um, a containment facility. Yeah, for some reason, this this uh, this lithium mine has a very well functioning jail, <laughs> so they just throw them in the jail. Um, and this is the second this is the second episode in a row where we see like the force field jail thing that's very good at containing gods. So if you ever have a, a god <laughs> causing you trouble, put him in a force field jail. Well, it sounds like the future, you know, is, is still uh, well equipped to exploit the working class mm-hmm. and, uh, it, you know, keep them under their thumb. Mining and companies and, 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 and jails and so on. Well, there, there's some transformative moments around mining that I don't know if we get to this season, but are, are oh, yeah, yeah. powerful. Yeah, um, there, there's a great mining episode coming up. Yeah, or every there's, every there's a phrase I never thought I'd hear. Space mining, and everyone there comes from New York. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> space I'm, New York. I'm here to mine dilithium. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey Joey, come, you're come around, yeah. <laughs> You come from Brooklyn too. <laughs> okay, so Dang. yeah. How's about we play some stickball? <laughs> I don't know what accent that was. I don't know. It's it's upstate. Maybe it's upstate. <laughs> it's a Utica accent. Yeah, it's a it's a Utica accent. <laughs> Not Albany. 
All right, go ahead, Doug. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and this is so Mitchell regains consciousness. Um, there's some back and forth over uh, whether he should be feared or not. Them pointing out that he'd made a comment about squashing them like insects. He points yeah. out that they'd actually drugged him. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And yeah, there's some dialogue on the the future, wh- whether mankind even is viable if there's a a super race of espers were born. Um, and the yeah, there's some tension on the longstanding friendship and loyalty uh, Kirk has to Mitchell, who's acting psychotic. Uh, but is his friend, and uh, at one point, yeah, the eyes fade, and uh, I think it's just a trick. Um, but yeah, luckily, I, we we have known hard ass uh, Commander Spock, who uh, who is instructing other crew members to rig the entire planet to blow up, <laughs> or at least the valley. Uh, he says, "Make sure you you do something with the power bins." So that we can blow up everything if things get bad, and and he asks Mister Scott to beam him down a phaser rifle, which will come in handy later. Um, so so there's some tension between Kirk and Spock because Spock is really intent and in killing this magical mystery person that they don't quite understand what's going on. Well, I will say I remember the first line out of Kirk's mouth when they beam oh. down is uh, "set up the shit to blow this place up." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, even before we, I mean, I mean, he's, he's not one to be shy about command decisions, except that or cutting ahead a little bit, but when they're, um, they're leaving the facility, he defers that decision to Ensign Kelso. If you feel it's necessary, you can blow up this planet. Blow up everything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's just delegation. That's what good commanders do. Yeah. So the uh, so eventually, um, so Mitchell uses his Esper ability to. Uh, he knows that um, Kelso is there to blow up the facility. Um, so he uses his Esper ability to. Oh, this is at the very end of that uh, of this segment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but we're combining these two. Yeah. So, so he he he's he's now aware of the plot. Uh, he uses his ESP ability to strangle Kelso with uh, like a cable or something, right? Yeah. Like some 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 machine part. He strangles Kelso. Um, the Enterprise crew makes a very sound decision that they need to get the fuck out of there. Um, but in the strange last minute turn. Psychiatrist Daner announces that she's staying on the planet with Gary Mitchell. And does does she have freaky eyes yet, or is that that later? I think we still don't see that yet. Okay, spoiler, she'll have freaky eyes in like 30 seconds. If you didn't want a spoiler, you shouldn't have listened to the last 40 or so seconds. Oh, okay. I, I think that so the acts we're combining are acts four and five. Uh, I have three and four because I only have four acts here. 
Well, the fifth act is literally that 30-second thing. So act uh, three uh, ends uh, with... Um, oh. This ends with them being knocked out, right? Right. Okay, so there's an <laughs> another act now. Point of order. Um, Memory Alpha only has four acts. Right, yeah. Oh, Doug doesn't count. Doug is counting an act that's not an act. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah, because there's. You're right. This is my. I take full responsibility here because there's that extra uh, captain's log entry and then that thirty second segment. But yeah. it is really part of Act Four here. Yeah, yeah. There's like a there's a, a mid act like uh, thing. Um, what a fucking shit show! <laughs> I'm, de- I'm deducting points in this act. So, so yeah, so then they, um, everyone beams up except, uh, the, the core staff. Then we go to act four, but okay. do we score act three or just, we roll? Yeah, let's score, let's score act three real quick. Let's keep it rolling. I'll start. I'll start. Okay. Yeah. 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 Let's switch up the order. So yeah, they were ready to commit genocide. <laughs> it's not genocide because he's the only person on the planet. It's just hyper murder. Okay, well, they yeah, they were ready to commit murder to a degree where they were going to blow up uh, part, if not all, of the planet. Geocide. <laughs> Geocide. Yeah, it's very close. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm going to give the, the, the metalness a nine for that alone. Wow. Wow. And then for the quality, I'm going to give it an unprecedented five because it sounds perfectly adequate. Yeah, I, I agree. It's perfectly adequate. My quality score is a five. And actually, I really like the term geocide. And because of that, I'm giving it a middle score of nine. Wow. So uh, this is interesting in a diverging. Yeah, I, I mean, there is a, the squashing people like insects. There is a lot of metal stuff. Yep, I guess I'm more. Oh God, yeah, and then the, um, yeah, the the genocidal threats. Okay, genocidal. And, and delegating and, it to an underling. Yeah, yeah you can you can kill him if you want. That's fairly metal. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it's a, it's a solid six, and six? then quality, I give it an eight. Uh, oh, wow. It's it's uh, the, you get the good uh, um, a Kirk Mitchell dynamics. You get to see Spock armed to the hilt. You get to see the contrast between Kirk and Spock, uh, and the the Kelso death. Well, this is actually kind of more in the metal. It works in both, but it's a pretty effective uh, little horror uh, uh, moment and pretty brutal. Okay. Yep. So, so then we get to uh, everyone's beamed off, um, except, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they speak to the balance of the landing party, uh, both in the log and Kirk says that, whatever that means. Uh, it's clearly something. All this makes connects. Um, I guess landing party balance is less an issue, you know, a little later. Um, Probably but, means at least one red shirt. No, um, no red shirts at all. Only, only. Uh, uh, that's a good point. They're only wearing like kind of a taupe <laughs> colored shirt and then a blue shirt. Those are the yeah. only shirts. There's no red shirts yet. All right. Although there are red shirts in the past two episodes, but not yeah. not in this episode. 
Yeah, this 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 is actually you could draw a parallel between this and the motion picture uniforms. It's like yeah. those pastels. That's like Rod. That's what Roddenberry thinks we'll be wearing <laughs> when he has a say. Anyway, so um, uh, yeah. So what? Uh, Daner and Mitchell. Uh, this is uh, Daner is revealed to have the same eye. Uh, uh, and it had the same telekinetic powers, and they escape, and in the process, they knock out the remaining landing party, which consists of Kirk, Spock, and then the Doctor, who we don't see, and just comes up and is like, oh yeah, I was knocked out too. When he comes <laughs> up to wake Kirk, who's actually already awake and kind of just like... And then, yeah, he gets a shot. I... Maybe it's that stuff. Yeah. Maybe it's that stuff from the uh, uh, city on, you know, the stuff they give McCoy. Oh right. Oh yeah. Maybe it but, could be. But uh, Kirk having that special relationship with Spock and knowing that Spock will disapprove of the uh, Kirk knows his duty here, which is essentially to enforce the the Kennedy Johnson party line. And uh, restoration through violence. Uh, so he he knows what he has to do, uh, and he knows Spock might disapprove. So he's like, "Don't wake up, Mister Spock." Then Kirk takes the phaser rifle and uh, uh, goes to to do what must be done. In the meantime, uh, Mitchell and Daner. Uh, have gone to the center of the one set uh, and are are experimenting with their telekinetic powers uh, to uh, grow fruit. Um, Mitchell sort of showing off. It's a little flirty in a weird way. And uh, she's still sort of on the fence as to whether this is something that can... Uh, kind of bridge mankind or whether they fully embrace the, the, their God entity form. Uh, and uh, this whole segment is interesting because the actors are literally blind. So if you yeah. watch the episode, they're like, it's sure beautiful. All these colors. Cause they have the silver shit in their eyes. Yeah. And then uh, Kirk uh, uh, comes up. Um, uh, Shatner is just fantastic here. He confronts Daner uh, before he reaches Mitchell. He appeals to her human side. And uh, he talks about, you know, what kind of God doesn't have compassion? Uh, and then the immortal line, what's your prognosis, doctor? Uh yeah, and uh, it's very interesting um, in all this confrontation. He does make a distinction. So I, th I think this is bef this is when he's talking to Mitchell, who steps yeah. in, um, and then they start. Uh, and Mitchell is uh, godlike um, at this point, uh, and they have an exchange. And Mitchell um, makes Kirk pray to him mm -hmm. um, and Kirk draws a distinction either right here or right after about 
Here we've used praying to multiple gods as worse than praying to one. <laughs> <laughs> he does, yeah, he does do that. If it was just Mitchell, that's one thing. But the two gods, that's different. Um, and I'm trying to... how did it, The uh, She uh, uses her telekinetic powers to temporarily render uh, Mitchell close to mortal. So yeah, then, well, so there's a, there's a few things going on. So when we see Mitchell now, he's aged a bit because we get the sense that, again, and this is sort of a Roddenberry trope, like using his god powers or somehow uh, he's evolving past his body, his body is aging, his body is is unable to contain everything that 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 is Gary Mitchell. Um, but but Danner is not as fully gone yet as Mitchell. So seeing the way he acts and and how he dug a grave for Kirk and is making him pray to him, uh, she still has a shred of her humanity and and thinks this is messed up. So she attacks Mitchell. Uh, I believe psychically, telekinetically, but anyway, that attack drains his powers, and, and, and we're able to deal with gods, as all gods should be dealt with, Doug. Yeah, and this is, yeah, this punching is punching them in the face. Through violence, just a fucking brawl. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so they go at it. This is the first time Kirk's entire shirt is ripped off in the show, in the process of them having a violent fist fight. Um, and, uh, yeah, and at one point, um, we see, uh, yeah, Mitchell, uh, Matt referenced it, creates a grave, uh, and a tombstone, and this tombstone reads James R. Kirk. Yep. Which... Ah, what kind of god doesn't even get the name right? Well, that's, yeah, and... Yeah. And was... Is there meaning to that or not? There was debate in the restoration, uh, restoration, the HD remaster of whether to correct the grave to the um, James T. Kirk we're familiar with, or whether this is actually a sign of uh, of him being a flawed god. You know, his human uh, uh, origin showing, and he doesn't actually remember Kirk's name, which I think is the way to read it. I know that's fun thing about the tombstone is it has his, it's the star dates. <laughs> so it says James R. Kirk zero one two seven seven one uh, point one to one three one three point seven. And yes, I know what you're thinking. Um, why is there a zero in the first one and not the second one? Dunno. Nobody knows. <laughs> Yeah, and anyway, so they uh, they get in a fist fight. Um, uh, and Kirk uh, still having human feelings for Gary uh, asks him to forgive him for what Kirk has to do, must be done. Uh, got it. Got to restore the status quo in the name of Starfleet here. Uh, and anyway, he bashes him with a rock. Yep. Until he falls into the grave. Yep. Uh, and then he pulls out the phaser rifle and No, no, wait, wait. Let's 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 let it let's let Tim predict here. So so his enemy has been beaten into a grave and now he has a phaser. This guy is is proven unstoppable, right? Uh this guy has godlike powers. 
you've been able to to temporarily put him in a grave and you now have a phase not just a regular old phaser but a phaser rifle so what do you as captain timothy kirk do uh Shoot him with the phaser rifle. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. Give yourself a give yourself a buzzer. Uh, <laughs> what does he do, Doug? Give me a few. He he shoots the styrofoam rocks above the grave, and this being Kirk, he can do all that math in his head. He knows exactly that enough rocks are going to land in that grave to crush Gary Mitchell to death. Yeah, Yes, a very satisfying ending. Um, you have a phased energy beam weapon. And instead of shooting the guy trying to kill you, you shoot the rocks so he dies a slower, more horrible death. <laughs> oh, you got to set the tone for the next fake god you encounter. Yeah, that's Who true. That? Uh, so then the battered Kirk... Um, uh, you know, with this this act of restorative violence, we're past that, uh, and uh, he does connect with uh, um, uh, Daner briefly. She's dying. She apologizes for her actions, uh, but but talks about how uh, Kirk has no idea what it's like to almost be God. Kirk, <laughs> Kirk knows that man needs no gods. Uh, so, uh, yeah. At most one. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. more. Max uh, number of gods, one. And we'll get to a good episode where that uh, that's really... Uh, remember the one, Matt, where Kirk announces, man doesn't need any gods to Apollo. Yeah. We're, and it's like, we're fine with the one. And like... The sort of stuff. Yeah. Asterisks. Yeah. That's a good line. Yeah. yeah that's right. pretty great. So then he beams up, and then, um, yeah, then uh, he, uh, he records in the ship's logs commendations for both Dinner and Mitchell. Uh, they died in the uh, performance of their duty. Uh, and then we have a, a moment of. Uh, Real Kirk Spock intimacy as they're they're standing nine inches apart. Um, <laughs> uh, Spock recognizes that Kirk uh, is in pain over the death of his friend, and then uh, Spock admits he had he feels for Mitchell too. To which Kirk responds, "I believe there's some hope for you all, Mister uh, for you after all, Mister Spock." End episode. Da 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 da. That's how it. That's how it. All right. So this is this is just a gangbusters uh, act here. Um. So on the metal side, I gotta go. I I, I mean, if they were wearing leather and <laughs> maybe a blood red sky, like that's the only thing missing. So. I give it a nine. I mean, you got man becoming God. You got man killing God. Uh, Mitchell expresses joy and blasphemy. You got Spock armed to the hilt. Um, You've got uh, the uh, 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 Mitchell and Daner uh, talking about the 
unimportance of the other uh, and the forced prayer on Kirk. All of that is very metal. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Uh, quality 10. Uh, hits it out 10. of the park. Wow. Uh, you don't get more Star Trek than this. I, I am violence and, and human compassion all at once. I am going to agree. I'm going to give this, uh, I, I think this is a nine in metal. It doesn't get much more metal than digging your best friend a grave and making him pray to you. Uh, and also, in a way, um, he's like uh, uh, betrayed by his love interest, which for some reason seems metal to me too. Yes, yeah. Yeah, no distrust of, uh, of love interests, especially women, is yeah. very metal. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of quality, this is a good section. Um, for me, I, I I recognize its importance, but it's actually the part of the original series I don't like uh, as much um, because I think it it's sort of uh, it's what's it's it's again it's it's very satisfying viscerally, but I feel like it's sort of like uh, yeah, there's this amazing mystery happened, and we. We solved it by phasering a rock and crushing literal godmen, and maybe there might have been some other way to to work them out, or at least save Denver. I don't know. So I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it a solid seven. It was a good, but I I would have written it differently. I would have ended it differently. Yeah, and, and like as we'll see uh, in uh, the 2024, this is why this kind of episode never worked in the next generation. Yeah, that's true. Driven. That's uh, true. But yeah, it's much it, more, it's, it's plot beat driven versus character driven. That is very true. Yeah. They don't need to, you know, the, the four minute fist fight was just how it was here. You know, it's just how it, how it works. Yeah. Uh, but doesn't fly, uh, in a, yeah, that environment. Um, all right, so now... Oh, wait, wait, uh, Tim has to give his grade. Yeah, yeah, my bad, Tim. This is, they're even more important in some This way. is actually very important because I, I, I won't reveal it, but this is incredibly important right now. Well, I'm actually going to start with quality. I'm, I'm going to give it a seven. Yes. Okay. Know. People died. <laughs> <laughs> the, the episode finally went somewhere. Um, especially after a couple acts ago and all they were doing was talking poetry. <laughs> so, you know, the fact that it got to where it got is, uh, is, 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 is a good thing. Uh, as for the metalness, I'm reminded of God of Emptiness by Morbid Angel. And I quote, bow to me, uh, bow to me faithfully, bow to me splendidly. Oh. That's a great song. <laughs> it is a That's great a song. And for that reason, uh, just the fact that the, the end of this episode reminded me of the end of your description of this episode. I should be, I should be uh, clear here. Uh, reminded me of that song. I'm going to give it a perfect metal score of 10. Wow. Okay. Uh, do you want to hear some statistical breakdowns? Sure. <laughs> All right. So... Um, so the highest score, uh, a 10 was given twice by Doug, uh, in quality for, for act four and by you, Timothy, uh, in, uh, the metalness of act four, 
the lowest possible score. A one was given once. Uh, Tim's rating for the quality of Act One. Um, the average act scores, the best act was Act 4, with an average rating of 8.66666, repeating. Um, the least <laughs> the least good was Act 2, uh, with a qu average score of 4.08333, repeating. The average score overall <laughs> was a 6.01666. And the total incomprehensible absolute score. Do it. Do you need a drum roll? I would like a drum roll. All right. So the absolute score was a 128.5, which means that this is a 52.24% perfect episode. <laughs> yeah. Very, very nice. And that's where we were splitting airs for the metal viewers because yeah. uh, on the Star Trek side, it's a lot higher, but we got it. We can't dismiss the metal measure. So that 52% stays. Yeah. So is this a great episode? It's a coin flip. <laughs> yeah. All right. Did you have any closing, uh, closing uh, thoughts? Well, we got to run through the memory beta stuff. Um <laughs> All right, so Mr. Alden, uh, who is the uh, the black character, uh, the black ensign that Mitchell relieves, yep, mm -hmm. uh, actually has a, uh, he appears in uh, five or six Star Trek novels, um, does a lot in an alternate universe as the communications officer instead of Uhura. Um, oh. Yeah, and then the, the, the biggest uh, thing here, the... Uh, the, the cute little blonde technician that Mitchell steers in front of Kirk is revealed to be Carol Marcus. Yeah. The uh, uh, a very uh, a talented scientist who we meet in The Wrath of Khan, who Kirk nearly married, as he referenced in this episode, and has a son with. And uh, there, there's a comic, uh, and of course... It involves the Kobayashi Maru um, because that asked anything in Starfleet and Kirk has to be about that. Um, but yeah, so she appears in a couple of things. Uh, the fate of the Valiant is further explored in a uh, what is called a next generation novel, but is really a Picard novel in a, star, uh, a Stargazer days. They look into the Valiant. Um, Dr. Piper, we learn, is actually covering for McCoy on an extended leave of absence during this period, and he serves with the Enterprise for about a year. Um, uh, he retires in an, after witnessing death and horror related to a pulsar explosion in a, um, uh, the, uh, one of the novels that kills a bunch of people on a planet. Um, and then uh, we know in another novel that by 20, uh, 2270, he's actually teaching at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Uh, I actually, to clarify, he's a researcher. Um, mm, but okay. As we also so he's know. Not, the, he's not tenure track. He's professional it track. It doesn't seem, I haven't read the novel. I have to be transparent, but it doesn't seem like it. Um, but just like we actually learned from the Orville, too, Baltimore is always going to be Baltimore. Uh, and he's actually murdered in December 
2271 and part of a plot to frame Chekhov. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Diener, uh, Diener doesn't actually appear in much, but there is a Kelvin timeline Diener who is in a relationship with Dr. McCoy that goes south. And uh, I think a comic recreates this story, and that's why she's not in it. That's that's pretty good. Is she the one that um, that that he's talking about? Like he, she took everything but my bones. When when Carl Urban has to explain his nickname on the on the shuttle for some reason. Yeah, when it, I, I'm sure that w was retconned to be, yeah, because J.J. Abrams doesn't understand what bones means in the context of 50s yeah. and 60s television. Well, or there's no expectation that the viewer possibly would. Yeah, and we talked about the um, uh, the the poet. Yeah, and then the uh, Kafurian apple um, reappears a couple of times. Uh, that the wood the, that Mar Mitchell grows for uh, Daner. And uh, this episode actually is the highest bo uh, referenced body count of Enterprise crew in a TOS episode at 12. <laughs> body count's still not on the Metal Archives. Not yeah, on the Metal Archives. If you need me to insert some blistering commentary on that, it sounds like you guys covered it, but. <laughs> That'll be, well, I'm sure it'll be an ongoing theme. <laughs> so that's where no man has gone before. See you next time for the naked time. And what I'm sure will be another thrilling statistical breakdown. <laughs> yeah. And this is really revealing. I think, uh, yeah, I can't wait till we get more data points. Then we can have like a chart <laughs> and maybe like box and whiskers. Oh, we can do yeah. a trend analysis. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, we just uh, yeah, and I think that there's been some good calibration, and yeah, well, even some discussion if we should be calibrated because one person's idea of metal is different from another's. Um, whether you have the visual or the attitude or uh, you know myth and symbolism, it's all metal. But Metal Nation, we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching podcast of Down Tos. For listening to Podcast Them Down. You can find Burning Shadows, Eisenmore, and recently vacated Wakes on Bandcamp, as well as Facebook, along with Fade the Black Metallica Tribute and Podcast Them Down itself. Until next time, keep it metal.